Hi, I'm Lucas. And I'm Brian. And this is the Quacks Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I have a great interview for you this week. His name is Travis Birch, and he runs a membership-based website and coaches clients in how to recover their health and live a life full of energy. Now, he was sick for a lot of years. So he researched, he tested a lot of the different supplements, lifestyles, and diets out there. And because of his experiences, he can really help you know, put the pieces together, I guess, for his clients who are, are struggling with uh, some aspect of their health. Because a lot of times, you know, the question we have as we're dealing with any issue is not exactly what to do, but it's more of all the things we could do that, you know, we're, we know are good, what's the most important of those options? So is it more important to exercise or to have a good diet? Do I have bad sleep because of my job or because of the house I live in? Sometimes, you know, I get frustrated with mainstream advice because it really doesn't get at the root cause of a problem. And I saw this meme the other day that said, if you're waking up at 5 a.m. to do cardio after five hours of sleep, you are picking up nickels while burning dollars. I think that just says it all. Now, in this interview, Travis really details out the main pillars of health that will get us the results when we focus on them. And they might surprise you. Enjoy. All right. It's my pleasure to welcome uh, Travis to the show. Travis, how are you, man? Doing great, Lucas. How are you doing? Good. I'm really excited for this interview because, you know, you have an amazing story and you have a lot of experience, uh, kind of, you know, boots on the ground experience, which I think is awesome. So I'm really excited. Yeah, I'm pleased to be here with you today. Cool. So why don't we start off with um, just kind of tell us what it is you do out there. Yeah. You know, my role has been evolving for a while and uh, I am I'm trained by Duke Integrative Medicine as a health coach. And I've, I've been doing this for several years and um, I try to help people uh, mostly focusing on chronic fatigue and, uh, and people that are suffering from all sorts of things that make them feel uh, pretty bad. And that, that's where my heart is. That's where my passion is. So I work with people one-on-one and I write a lot on the site and I try to, um, I try to focus on what we can do. There's a lot of stuff that doctors can do. They can prescribe medicine uh, and even supplements. But I am focused on what each of us can do every single day to feel better and better. So maybe, maybe tell us how you got to this approach. Like, what is your story to get here? Yeah, definitely. Well, <clears throat> going back to my teen years, I, I suffered from fatigue even as an adolescent. I remember telling my high school basketball coach in my junior and senior year that I was tired all the time. And, uh, and so when I graduated college, I moved to Nashville to play music, to play the mandolin. And within a year, uh, I was feeling pretty bad and, and I had to stop playing music. And it turns out, looking back now, I know that it was, it was the old house that I moved into that was making me sick. So, and, and just to interrupt you real quick, when you say feeling bad, what do you mean? Yeah, I had every symptom of, of hypothyroidism, chronic fatigue. You could call it mold illness. You could call it multiple chemical sensitivity, MCS, SIRS. Uh, you, could, you could call it all of those. Um, so I, I really had terrible brain function. My digestive system did not work. 
uh, and, and my muscles were even failing me. Um, so I, I pretty much became uh, a recluse and I couldn't even talk to people for longer than, you know, 20 minutes without having to bail. Wow. So, so you're feeling awful. Uh, when you say your muscles uh, left you, you were having like muscle wasting? Um, yeah, actually, I, I got very, very skinny at one point. And, um, but also just playing music, uh, the repetitive motions would cause my muscles to lock up and, and be very weak. If I tried to work out, they would get tired and pulled and injured. I was constantly injuring myself. And, you know, as a lifelong athlete, uh, this was very striking and alarming. Yeah. So you said it, it kind of all started when you moved into a house. What do, what do you mean? Yeah. So uh, I moved into a house in 2008. And this this was a very old house. It was about 80 or 90 years old. Uh, and it, it was a very sick building from what I know now. Um, the The roof was sinking. You could see it visibly from the driveway. The uh, The electrical wiring was ungrounded. And uh, that turned out to be a very important factor. And it was also an extremely damp building. So it was very moldy. And all of these seem to be very important. Interesting. So how long um, did you... So, so basically, you went into sickness. What did you start doing? Like, what, did, what were your first steps? You know, my first steps... I, I tried everything. And my first steps was, was to go vegan. <laughs> um, it was very popular back then as it is now. Uh, and I had three months of bliss. I mean, I was, I was on, in vegan heaven for about three, maybe four months. Uh, I was playing basketball. I was losing weight. I was jumping higher because I was so skinny. Um, and then, you know, it started catching up to me that my energy was failing. Um, so then from, you know, after I, I actually tried vegan for about two plus years <laughs> before I gave it up, that's wow. how I will try something until I know it is not the answer. Um, and then I bounced around to just about every diet after that, uh, for the next almost eight years. Wow. So how long did you actually have this chronic fatigue state? Yeah, it's tough to put an exact number on it, but something like eight years. Jeez, that is... That is a long time to be debilitated. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> so what kind of, I mean, what kind of things did you go through? I mean, I, I mean, obviously you, you tried probably just about ed- everything, but can you give us kind of a little uh, summary of all the different things you tried? Yeah, definitely. So at one point I was getting deep into yoga. Um, it seemed to really help me feel better when nothing else would. And from there I got into meditation, which really seemed to, to offer something to me. Um, and then, you know, I, I wasn't eating and I wasn't digesting. And eventually I lost that ability to just like meditate my way through feeling bad. Um, I would try and my brain just wouldn't show up, you know. Um, and I, I got into, you know, low carb. Um, I tried uh, repeat Chinese medicine. Uh, from there, I got into gut health. And um, and then from the repeat, I, I got into, you know, light from there, I got into uh, circadian rhythms and EMF, and finally mold avoidance. Gotcha. And so, uh, other than the veganism, was there anything you tried that uh, had promising results at first, but ended up being a dead end? Yeah, uh, definitely um, veganism did that, but also low carbing uh, gave me a false positive. Okay. Uh, yeah. So low carbing worked really well for about two months. And then I just petered out. I think it absolutely made my hypothyroid symptoms much worse. 
it's always interesting to hear about things that have promising results at first because I think that's a huge trap that people today get into. They they do something that like low carb that feels really good and then it just, you know, ends up digging them deeper. I think you're exactly right about that and and you know, on one hand we don't need to be terribly afraid but we do need to be aware that uh, a lot of approaches can lead us down a path that, you know, we might find ourselves in worse shape afterward. Yeah. So you have several pillars on which your approach is based from this experience. I think circadian rhythm, environment. What what are those pillars? And can, can you tell us why they're important? Definitely. In my mind, I think in terms of light and how light affects your health. I think in terms of gut, sleep, the food we eat, nutrients, your location, and also your movement each day. Uh, at some point, I would like to add in the mind mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. but I haven't broached that topic a whole lot with with clients and and on the site yet. So uh, let's go. Let's do with the light first. Why is that important? What you know, circadian rhythms kind of tied up in that. Why is that a big deal? Yeah, definitely, circadian rhythms are so controlled by light, and, and that is, that might be the main factor why light is so important for for your health. Um, light affects every aspect of our health. It affects our digestion. It affects our thyroid. It affects our mind and our mood. It affects our inflammation, our enzyme activity, our hormone balance. Uh, light is viewed as so innocuous, I think, in our, uh, in our society. And yet it, it, is, it is impactful to the core of, of what we are as humans. So you've also used, I know, certain types of infrared lights and stuff. Maybe you could go over uh, the usefulness of those. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, infrared helps in just about every single health situation uh, with almost no exceptions. Uh, the research shows that it is one of the most purely helpful things we can do and that we get almost zero infrared from our modern environments that we live in. Um, without it, if you're trying to recover without the use of infrared light, I feel like that's a missed opportunity. Um, and so the best ways to get infrared, um, well, first of all, the sun is is well over 50% infrared uh, year round. So <clears throat> um, sunlight's free. It is powerful, um, especially in the morning and evening when you're not going to have terribly high UV. It is a premier source of infrared. So, but a lot of time, you know, today here in Nashville, it's, it's kind of cloudy and raining off and on. So, you know, uh, sunlight's not available for me today. So right now, while I'm talking to you, I've got two 250 watt heat lamps on. And, uh, I tell you what, it Mm. feels like sunlight right now here in Nashville. And so when you say heat lamps, are they the, the red ones? I actually am a huge fan of the clear ones. Okay. Uh, the red ones, you know, draw a lot of attention because red light is so good for you. But uh, in my opinion, the clear ones offer just as much infrared, just about the same amount of red light. In addition, they're going to offer orange, green, yellow, blue light on top of that. And I have done it for many years this way and notice a big difference, a, a big boost compared to the red. And I've seen it with tons of clients and other people even I've talked to who uh, who have noticed the same thing, that the red ones really don't hold a candle to the clear ones. 
Really? That is, and so basically you just shine these on you all day or, or how, how exactly do you use them? Uh, yeah, I, if I could shine them on me all day, I would. Um, <laughs> huh. uh, if I were, uh, yeah, if I were a rich Sultan, I would have someone carrying it around and I'd <laughs> really well, uh, <laughs> to do that. But, but really, um, I work at the computer a lot. So for me, if I can have it on for several hours a day, I'm pretty happy probably maximum of like four or five hours and i'll have them about two feet away from me uh at all times maybe two and a half feet and are you trying to get it in your eyes or is it supposed to hit your body yeah actually just shining on my body yeah um sometimes i'll uh i'll I'll wear a tank top or take my shirt off just to expose more skin to this amazing light but uh there's some benefit it's not a good idea to shine a heat lamp in your eyes yeah Uh, Hmm. yeah you definitely don't want to do that but uh, so I have it kind of to the side and behind me. So there's definitely peripheral light that's bouncing around the room and it, it, it does brighten up the room. And, and that is going to signal to my brain that it's daytime so that I'll sleep better at night. That's really cool. So this was probably, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. I went to Home Depot and I bought, I can't remember what kind, maybe incandescent. I don't know. It was one of these super bright incandescent lights that they use on uh, construction sites, right? To to brighten things uh-huh. up at night. And yeah. you can't put that near you because it will literally burn you. But what you can do is you can shine it through water and that will get rid of the heat. And so I set up this system where this light was above me and then I would put like a tray in you know a glass tray of water beneath it and sit beneath it and i do that for about 20 minutes and i remember almost feeling dizzy after after that much light it was <laughs> it was kind of insane <laughs> but that's amazing yeah it was it was a fun experiment so if people don't you know want to shine lights on them how can people kind of get their circadian rhythm you know their light exposure right yeah well if you don't want to shine lights on you inside with artificial bulbs um your your number one best bet is absolutely sunlight, um, and and sunlight is good for you all day. Uh, but there's a certain time of day that sunlight is absolutely best for you, and that time is is in the morning. Um, within a few hours of sunrise, sunlight is most effective at at restarting your circadian rhythm, cementing it into place. Um, it causes all, all kinds of hormones to, uh, to release uh, serotonin in the morning so that that serotonin can turn into melatonin in the evening. Without one, you don't get the other. And so morning sunlight is, is one of the most powerful health uh, practices you can do. And I fully recommend it. Okay. So let's, uh, let's move on to environment and I often tell people who ask me that environment is destiny. You know, it's like whatever environment you're in, uh, on a long enough basis, you know, if it's a stressful environment or whatever, like you're not, you're not going to be able to resist it forever. And so you want to put yourself in an environment that is, you know, that supports your health. Um, so, so environment, I think is one of your pillars. What are the kind of damaging environments that people live in today? Yeah, I think you're exactly right when you say that environment is destiny. Um, and I don't want to be fatalist there, but there's so much truth to how how deeply the environment affects us. Um, yeah, so the most damaging environments that people live in, uh, I like to look at your your indoor environment particularly. Okay. Um, and I break it down into three pieces, light quality, air quality, and then the EMF load. 
of the environment of this of the indoor environment. And um, so, you know, you need to evaluate all those separately, really. Uh, you can have really bad light quality, but great air quality. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it seems like all three light, air, and EMF, when it's bad, they all go together. Hmm. Um, and so you see this a whole lot in, for instance, an office environment. Um, you're going to have a whole lot of wireless EMF. You might even have breaker boxes inside the walls that people are sitting right next to. Mm. Um, and then you're also going to, I saw a stat just the other day that uh, something like 80% of office and commercial buildings in America have water damage, um, either in the past or ongoing. And I think that it was like 47% ongoing. So <clears throat> water damage is is extremely common and when it's not cared for when it's not addressed right away it, it's guaranteed you're going to have mold issues in the walls uh, you know underpaid janitors aren't going to know about it and, and things just get left unaddressed um, and then our, our modern air conditioning systems are really not designed to age well okay uh, i think it was invented uh <laughs> and everybody thought great forced air this is awesome and they didn't really think about how dust and fungus and all this would accumulate in the system while 24 7 water is present on the evaporator coils feeding the fungus so um, air conditioning systems can be extremely uh, damaging to air quality and we all live inside so we're exposed to them so much of the time i don't know about you in arizona but <laughs> here in tennessee we really depend on our air conditioning oh um, oh yeah during the summer we <laughs> care about air conditioning i mean that's how you live out here it's like 115 out so i mean there's there's no way you can survive without ac um, yeah you would die wouldn't you <laughs> yeah you would although we don't have to deal with mold i mean that's that's a very nice thing about living here yeah uh, i think that would be a major benefit I, i've heard some people in the mold commu community say that there are some extremely hardy molds that live in the low humidity of, of the desert climate oh really but overall i think that you you've got a much better situation than the hot humid south where i am so what is sure. what does mold do to you oh man uh mold is uh is a really uh, dastardly opponent for our health and and it's so ubiquitous it's as ubiquitous as emf is now um mold if you imagine it, it needs just moisture to grow uh on anything just about even on dust it can grow hmm. um and so our houses are full of moisture. We got we have got pipes everywhere running in the walls, each prone to a leak. We've got, you know, roofs that must be maintained and foundation level where water can enter and humidity in the air even feeds mold. And when mold grows and pro proliferates, it releases two things. Number one, it releases spores into the air, which then spread everywhere, right? I mean, literally thousands and thousands and thousands uh, a day can be released. And then number two, mold releases uh, volatile organic compounds, VOCs, which are also known as mycotoxins. And science doesn't even know why mold releases mycotoxins. Although you can imagine that it's probably just to fend off you know, animals that might disturb it or mm. maybe bugs or something, it, some sort of defense mechanism. But between the spores released and the, the VOCs that are released by mold, um, they have dastardly terrible effects on human health. And one of the first things that will happen is hypothyroidism. 
And I can't tell you how many people that I talked to with hypothyroidism that later find out that they had mold and were exposed to it for quite some time. Um, and it's like I said, it's everywhere. Um, so I mean, can people do anything about that? Is that kind of like an ongoing battle? I, I would say, yes, it is an ongoing battle. Uh, however, your awareness of it is so preventative because if I had known about this 10 years ago or 11, I would not have moved into that old house in Nashville that I got sick in. And I, if I had any idea of how to look for it, I would have said, nope, this is not a house I move into. Um, and so we need to understand a little bit about how to maintain a building. Every adult needs to know, just like we need to know how to balance our checkbook. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, nobody writes checks anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. But uh, even as we know how to, to, to keep our finances in check, we need to know how to keep our buildings in check. And that goes for if you're living in an apartment. Uh, you need to know to stop a water leak right away. And you need to watch for it. Um, if, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If you have mold, is there anything you can do? Or is it just kind of like you have to move? Um, it depends on how bad it is. Uh, the, the, the less of a problem, the smaller the growth, the more likely it is that you'll be able to manage it, maintain, and be able to stay. If it gets really bad, um, even even the most conservative doctors would say you need to leave. Uh, even though it's not in the public sphere of conversation, um, it is it is actually quite well studied. And in, especially in the last five years, there's been a ton of research coming out about mold. And uh, there's a big push in the mold community to raise awareness for it. That's really interesting. So EMF, you mentioned that. What uh, What should people know about that? Well, just like we need to be aware of mold, we also just need to be aware of EMF and and the problem with both mold and EMF uh, are that as we increase awareness of them, we also may increase our fear of them. And uh, fear is not a very healing state, you know. So um, definitely not. We need, to, we need to become yeah. We need to become aware of EMF and uh, and know that it's rising. The the wireless proliferation, the, the cellular networks. Uh, we're getting more cell towers coming in all the time. Our uh, Wi-Fi routers are getting more powerful every year, um, and our and our phones are, are radiating, you know, constantly. So we need to first uh, become aware of the sources of EMF, and, and the main ones, you know, to worry about are certainly cell towers. Um, a cell tower just came in uh, about exactly a half mile away from my apartment. Um, about two weeks ago. Wow. And, uh, and, and so I, I, I can feel it a little bit, actually. I can feel, I don't know. Can you feel EMF? Yeah. So my story with EMF is I actually did a three part series for the podcast. I think it's like six, seven and eight, um, about EMF because I was living in an apartment and unbeknownst to me, they installed 11 smart meters, like right behind my kitchen. And, oh man! And so, literally, I went insane for three months. Like, I, I, I had, I couldn't sleep. I mean, it was. I literally thought I was going to die. I mean, it was the one of the most. Oh, just thinking about it, you know, you kind of still get that that uh, feeling in your stomach of dread. I mean, it was it was brutal. And so, 
um, that was one of the best things for my health was getting away from, from EMF. And, and I always tell people when they're looking for a home, like if you can see an EMF tower from, from your house, like it's going to affect you, you know? And, and it's so insidious, you know, it's like, it doesn't, if you just like stand under a tower for an hour or two, like it's, it's not a huge deal. I mean, you're, you're going to be fine, but it's the constant day and night exposure that, really just it, it's gonna make everything so much harder you know it's gonna make you know the stress from your job that much uh, that little bit harder it's gonna make your sleep at night instead of getting that you know seven and a half hours you're gonna get you know seven hours and, and it's just gonna creep up on you over a couple years to the point where you're gonna get to a point where you're like wow how did I you know my, my energy my, my ability to do things uh, my ability to be effective is so impacted um, so it's it's just very insidious. It is insidious. Yeah, that, that sounds like a terrible situation. I uh, I see my apartment complex has, I think, five buildings. Each building has two separate banks of about fifteen smart meters mm. on each side of it, and uh, you know I can I can feel it walking past about twenty feet away. And I always see you know my neighbors that live right next to those, and I just wonder how they're feeling and how they're sleeping. You know. Yeah. Um, I haven't, I haven't seen them enough to talk to them, but it's something I wonder about. It's really interesting because some people seem to just not be as effective. And I think there is some factor where if you're pretty healthy, it really doesn't do much to you. But if you have, you know, some stress in your... Because everybody, nobody's static. So, I mean, if you have some stress in your life or whatever, it's just... It, then it starts, you know, it's, and, and I was unlucky enough to have those smart meters installed, or you could say lucky really, uh, at a time where I was like really stressed and I, I just burnt out over the last couple of years. So, I mean, it, it hit me incredibly hard. I agree. And it seems to me, I think, uh, one of the main mechanisms that makes it so insidious as you're talking about is that it, it seems to affect blood sugar. Yes. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the studies that, that show uh, elevated A1C levels as a result of, of even in children, mm-hmm. as a result of cell towers exposure from, I think, uh, something like 400 meters away. I don't remember. Um, and it, which, is, which is kind of far. Um, but so going back to the blood sugar, if this radiation, you know, it's pulsed, it's on off. It's sending data zero one one zero on off, and it's pulsing like a strobe light, um, and somehow it seems to affect our cells. But if you've got blood sugar issues already, and who has blood sugar issues in our society? It's like you were talking about with diabetes, um, hypothyroidism. Yeah, almost everyone with hypothyroidism struggles with blood sugar, and uh, if EMF only makes that worse, causing blood sugar to crash. Then that's when you see people um, following a repeat approach, eating lots of sugar, and man, they can't get on top of that that sugar roller coaster. Yeah, I I have a Dexcom. It's called, and it's a it basically looks at your blood sugar every five minutes and and charts it on a little graph. Um, and so when I am in a high EMF area, my blood sugars are definitely higher. I mean, you can you can just tell they actually go down at first. And then uh-huh. it's like your cortisol kicks in and they flatten out. Yeah. Yeah. Man, isn't that crazy? Yeah. And it's, it's, you're measuring it. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. Uh, remarkable. So let's, uh, let's talk about gut health because that is like a super tricky subject. Um, but I think you have a pretty comprehensive approach. So, so tell us just a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, uh, 
gut health is is America at least is struggling so much with gut health and around the world it's it's getting worse uh, it seems like everyone I talk to has has poor gut health and um, I, I feel like of all the factors that impact our gut you know we need to, to develop a lifestyle that supports the gut first and foremost and and that includes getting proper light getting really bright light in the daytime and darkness at night and then um, getting your circadian rhythm in check. If you're going to sleep past 11 p.m., uh, you could you could be benefiting your gut more by going to sleep earlier and waking up earlier. It actually is remarkably important for the gut. Yeah. Um, so especially if you're you know we're talking about people in a weak state and suffering from chronic illness, I would put it up at the very top of the list that there may be nothing more important than going to bed early. And, and this is obviously hard because insomnia is a real thing for people with chronic illness. Um, and, and so what I tell people is, is that it is so important simply to be mimicking a proper circadian rhythm, be in bed with the lights off in the dark at the right time. Even if you don't fall asleep right away, that's okay. That's what it takes. We have to train our, our bodies to develop a healthy circadian rhythm. Uh, and then get up, like we mentioned earlier, and, and see morning sunlight and retrain that circadian rhythm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know you have uh, gut protocols, and, and those are mostly for your clients, of course. But can you give us any specifics that you know might be useful to people listening? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I think if we look at how uh, medicine is treating H. pylori, we actually have a lot to learn um, from from that treatment style. So what they do with H. pylori is, is what they call triple therapy. And, and just to cut in real quick, H. pylori is the bacteria that causes ulcers. That is correct. Yes. And it is a, a very hardy, hardy bacteria that is difficult to eradicate. Um, so when they treat H. pylori, they, the doctors will use what is called triple therapy. And that's where one antibiotic is not enough to kill this, this pathogen two is not enough. We hope three antibiotics will be enough to kill the H. pylori. And they, they will put patients on uh, three antibiotics for several weeks. And then at the end of that several weeks, they'll test for H. pylori again. And the success rate is about 75%. Oh, man. So yeah, it's not, it's actually not very good. 25% of people don't respond to it. <clears throat> So what they do with the 75% who find success, uh, the H. pylori has been eradicated. Um, they check them again in about a month and H. pylori starts coming back. Hmm. So it's not detectable uh, after the first test, after the, the, the round. It's, it's eradicated in 75%, but then it's back a month later which suggests that we don't ever really truly kill these pathogens completely. Wow. What we do is we make them go dormant and therefore succumb to number one, our immune system, but number two, all the other pathogens or microbes in our gut that make up a healthy gut flora. So yeah, what we see there is, is that if we cannot fully kill a, a microbe or a pathogen completely, we need a lifelong process to maintain and constantly be improving our gut health, constantly be fending off 
these pathogens, which are finding our way, their way into our gut. Um, and so that's what medical doctors are doing, combining three antibiotics to try to tackle H. pylori. But there's actually a study done a few years ago of a naturopathic doctor who said, okay, I see your triple therapy. I'm going to try my own triple therapy using natural um, substances. So this doctor, this naturopathic doctor used oregano oil, um, bismuth, which is actually the main ingredient in Pepto-Bismol. So he used Pepto-Bismol as the second ingredient. And the third ingredient was mastic gum, which also has some antimicrobial effects against H. pylori. And so he put people, uh, patients, I think 39 patients on uh, a several week program with this triple therapy where they were taking each of those three times a day. And at the end of the uh, course, guess the rate of success. I'm, I'm guessing it's probably higher than 75%. <laughs> well, let's just say 75%. Oh, okay. Wow. So it was equally effective as the triple therapy antibiotics. And so I feel like there's a lot to unpack there. Hmm. And this is what I found what I was doing five, six, seven years ago when I was first getting into gut health. I sort of realized, okay, oregano is pretty good, pretty strong, uh, antimicrobial. What if I put apple pectin with it? Hmm. I combined those two and I said, hmm, cinnamon is also a pretty good antibiotic. What if I stack that one in there as well? Suddenly, I was, uh, you know, without knowing this research, I was making my own triple therapy and, um, and get this. Doctors are now looking at triple therapy and saying, that's not good enough. We'll make a double triple therapy where they add in three more antibiotics to tackle H. pylori. Well, that's what I was doing too. I added in um, additional gut supplements, probiotics, uh, propolis, you know, which is honey, uh, cousin of honey. Um, and I was making my own double and triple, triple therapy, you know? And so stacking these ingredients together, I, I, I'm very confident when I say that it's most likely one of these will not revolutionize your gut. But when you stack two, three, four, maybe five, yeah. maybe more, then now you start to see that we're tackling pathogens from multiple directions. And we can see what I had was remarkable results. And so were you dealing with H. pylori or was this just for general gut health? Yeah, actually, I was not, although I've worked with quite a few people who, who've had it. Um, and uh, and, and, and it's, I think it's just a really illustrative example. Okay. So you, you kind of mentioned antibiotics. Um, when do you bring those in? Because I know you use some antibiotics sometimes with your uh, clients, and I know there's probably not many health practitioners who would. So when would you bring those in? Yeah, no, I, I think the fear around antibiotics is mostly justified. Uh, I think that, um, that they should be 100% used as a last resort. Uh, they, they will wipe out your gut flora. Um, no question about it. Yeah. So, so when they might be necessary is, and I've seen this quite a bit when folks cannot tolerate anything, 
that's when they need to be thinking about getting a prescription from a doctor and using antibiotics. And when you say tolerate, do you mean like food allergies or, or supplements? Yeah, mostly supplements. So, um, you know, one of my favorite supplements might be colostrum or apple pectin or cinnamon or oregano. Uh, peppermint is a pretty gentle one. Um, and and I've had uh, plenty of, of clients that if they take one of those mo- more gentle supplements, even in small doses, if they open up the capsule and pour out most of it, they they can't tolerate it. They'll have really bad reactions. Uh, and it can be pretty, pretty scary, I think for them. So, um, in that case, you know, I've said, I don't, I don't know of another way to help your gut, um, other than, than going the antibiotic route. And, And in that case too, it is so important that people really, really focus on, again, their circadian rhythm, get their light cycles really well, make sure you're not living in a moldy house or an EMF rich environment. Sick building syndrome is very real. And so I I do, I want to to caveat that and say that, you know, before you run off to to try antibiotics, uh, make sure you're not living in a sick building. Mm. And so are there specific antibiotics you would uh, use and, and some you would stay away from? Yeah, yeah, safer antibiotics. Yeah. I, I have seen, yeah, I've seen lists uh, thrown around, um, but uh, I don't really, I, I mean, penicillin VK is supposed to be safer, clarithromycin, erythromycin, tetracycline, doxycycline. Some of these are supposed to be safer. Um, and then the other thing I would mention is uh, a lot of people m- will try antibiotics and see very little results. Um, and then it's important you might want to check with an antifungal. And I've seen quite a few people respond with an antifungal where anti- antibiotics did not do much. So something like uh, diflucan, fluconazole uh, <clears throat> can be can be pretty bi- a big deal for people. A lot of people are dealing with fungus. Uh, and again, we, we were talking about sick buildings and mold. Mold is a fungus. So uh, there might be a connection there as well. Yeah. So what about people who, you know, maybe they're not chronically ill, but they just kind of have gut issues. Like what's the, what's the best thing that they could do in general, in your opinion, for their gut? Yeah. So I like to break down my gut supplements into three sections. And one is probiotics. Uh, the second one would be prebiotics, which are fibers that selectively feed the good bacteria. And then um, the third is uh, antimicrobial herbs. Uh, enzymes would also fit in, in the antimicrobial section. Um, and so what I would recommend is uh, take one of each. Take one probiotic, one prebiotic, and one antimicrobial every day. Uh, and you can separate them out. I wouldn't necessarily take the antimicrobial with the probiotic uh, because it might antimicrobe the probiotics. It might kill yeah. them. Uh, but yeah, take one of the three every day. Okay. Is there anything that uh, you you know that's mainstream advice that you think uh, is probably like the worst thing you can do for your gut health? <laughs> um, in terms of mainstream advice, uh, I do think that there's some risk uh, cutting out your carbs. Um, I feel like when I cut out my carbs, my gut health went went down a good bit. So, in terms of mainstream advice, that's that's probably what I would say. That's really great. So, I'm a little curious about sleep. You know, people who aren't necessarily dealing with mold and EMF and some of these other causes that we went over, 
what can they do for their sleep if it's not the best, you know? And, and that can look like waking up in the middle of the night, not being able to fall asleep. You know, what, what are you uh, finding out there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so the first step to a great sleep is uh, make sure your bedroom is extremely dark. And uh, if, if light is coming in through your windows, it's, it's really beneficial to use blackout curtains. Um, and in fact, there are studies that show that even a very faint blue light that flashes on and off only every 10 seconds actually lowers your melatonin levels. And so, I mean, this can't be very many blue photons hitting your closed eyelids. And they were actually able to detect that melatonin levels were lower as a result of very faint light in the bedroom. So um, every single step you can take to make your bedroom darker will improve your melatonin. And what we know about melatonin is that it is incredibly anti-cancer. As well, it is profoundly important for gut health. Uh, microbial diversity of the gut, um, the microbiome really responds well to melatonin. So uh, the light in your bedroom at night could be directly harming your gut health as well as how deep you sleep. Um, another thing that I could mention is uh, it's beyond the bedtime, which is, is really important. Um, if you're feeling really, really bad, I fully recommend going to bed at 9.30 p.m. And, um, and I know that's hard, but I think that's wonderful. But if you're going to do that, uh, you really, uh, probably should eat your meals early as well. And in fact, eating meals on time, on a schedule, like your grandma used to, um, breakfast, lunch, and dinner is one of the most important things you can do to facilitate good sleep. In fact, there's a whole lot of research showing uh, intermittent fasting and, and fasting windows, uh, or feeding windows, sorry, showing how good they are for sleep and, and the circadian rhythm. But you don't have to go all the way to an eight hour feeding window. You can just eat those three meals a day, like your grandma used to. And, um, think about the opposite if you don't do that. So if you, if you don't eat breakfast, you know, right away, I say 8, 8 a.m., 7 30 a.m., Let's say you push it back to 10.30 or, or maybe even 11 a.m. Well, now when lunchtime rolls around at noon, you're just finishing breakfast. Now your lunch gets pushed back to 3 p.m., 4 p.m., maybe maybe 5. And then dinner gets pushed back as well to, what, 10, 11, maybe midnight? So eating your three meals later can make it almost impossible to go to sleep at 9.30 because if you ate – uh, a late breakfast and then a late lunch in the early afternoon. And then you try to eat dinner at six 30. Well, you just, it's not going to work. You've got to eat when you should be going to bed. Um, so I, I, I found this to be incredibly helpful for myself, but also with, with clients that I've worked with. Um, and it's a super simple thing. Just set an alarm on your phone and, uh, and set it for seven 30 noon and six 30 PM. Um, I think I saw a study not too long ago that said that an alarmingly high number of Americans don't even eat meals anymore. Huh. We're just grazing throughout the day. And uh, there are a lot of reasons for, for that. You know, we live in a high, fast-paced society, and, and a lot of people are struggling with gut health 
and don't feel like they can eat meals. And if you can't eat a full meal, then, you know, you have other things to worry about. You've got to fix your gut health um, so that you can eat a meal. But ultimately, having that goal in mind of three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, not late, eating them on time is actually a really powerful step forward. And, and what you'll see, um, you know, beyond just the circadian rhythm benefits are uh, a main one is, is improved blood sugar levels. So let's change gears uh, a little bit here. So I know in the past you've been a little critical of uh, Ray Pete's approach to health. Can you kind of tell us a bit about why that is? Yeah, you know, uh, Ray Pete is is such a fascinating guy. And I first want to say that um, I have a lot of respect for him, a lot of gratitude for him. Um, and I think he's a genius that, you know, lives in a beautiful world that he's created. Um <laughs> with, you know, lovely concepts and ideas and, uh, and, and his anti-authoritarianism is just to be commended. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, and, and that doesn't change from the fact that I have also seen, I would probably put it in the hundreds of people, um, who have come to me and, and mentioned how they seem to have gotten worse, uh, while peeing, at least in certain ways, like their gut health. Um, and a few, a few have gotten, they've told me, uh, much, much worse. So I think that, that there's a bit of a risk, uh, to the Pete approach. And I, I would just, you know, first of all, just encourage people to be, um, cautious as they, as they go, you know, throughout any health community, including the Pete community. Yeah. And so for people who don't know, you know, Ray Pete, we've talked about him in other podcasts, but he has some uh, recommendations that are sometimes unorthodox, you know, eating lots of sugar. Um, he has some great stuff like avoiding fish oil, uh, but but it's kind of like a comprehensive approach to increasing your metabolism. And a lot of people who have uh, tried to follow some of his recommendations, some have had great success, and, and a lot of people have found that it does the opposite. Um, and, and sometimes he's not as clear on, you know, exactly what you should do, but more like how you should think. I don't know. Is that kind of a good summary? I'd say so. Yeah. I think you nailed it. He's just extremely, almost only focused on the metabolism, specifically the function of the thyroid. Yeah. Yeah. What value do you think he has? Like what, what do you think people should take from him that is valuable other than the anti-authoritarian stuff, but like more the, the diet side or, or supplement side? Yeah. Well, I think we need his perspective. Uh, the, there's probably, you know, never been someone with perhaps the exception of his hero, Broda Barnes, who has so thoroughly explored thyroid health. Um, I mean, he has, you know, spent his life exploring what makes the thyroid work better, what makes it boost its production. Um, and, and, you know, it's a singular focus and we need that. I, I, I wish that we had a repeat of the brain. Mm. I wish we had a repeat of the gut and of the heart and of, you know, every organ in the, in the body of the skin. If we did, we'd be better off. You know? Yeah. What uh, do you find any in any of your clients, any of his specific recommendations that you find over and over again or like, wow, that really didn't work? The one thing I would say uh, is his concepts around hormonal supplementation, uh, like you mentioned, it, it will work for some people. 
Uh, and the ones it works for, it just seems to work. Uh, the ones it doesn't work for, it can be nightmarish. And I've seen that quite a bit where people are taking uh, you know, progesterone in particular seems to cause some real problems with people. Um, other other people will have problems with uh, with thyroid hormones as well. Uh, thyroid never helped me. Uh, I tried it for a while and I, I couldn't get it to work. And it you know it turns out I was living in a very sick building, so I'm sure that's why. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think I think the hormone supplementation is probably uh, it's, it's tenuous for for a lot of people. That's interesting because that was actually my next question because he does advocate using a lot of different hormones. Um, I'm guessing you don't really use that approach. Yeah, I really don't. Um, and, uh, you know, this actually overlaps with what I'm seeing uh, in the mold community for, I guess, the last 20 years. It has been common practice for uh, folks dealing with uh, with environmental illness to, to try to replace hormones and, and balance things. Um, and what the doctors are saying, Dr. Neil Nathan is one in particular right now in the mold community, uh, and he talks about this in his book that people are not responding to hormones the way they used to. Mm. And it makes me, you know, wonder if maybe at one time, you know, Pete's ideas about hormones perhaps was a, a bit more suitable for people. But right now something's changing in the environment that, uh, you know, we were talking about mold and EMF, uh, light is changing. Something m- may be changing in the environment that's making people sicker or maybe just sick in a different way. And, and perhaps hormones aren't working for that reason. Yeah, that's actually really interesting um, because I've definitely seen people who take hormones and it just does nothing for them. It does nothing for their issue. So it's almost like you're, you know, shooting at a target and it's the totally wrong target. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And, and I uh, I wish hormones did nothing for me. They actually made me uh, a lot worse. Uh, I felt I felt really bad on hormones, and, and I see that a lot. the The other issue that I should probably mention is is that you know, how many chemicals, hormones are there in the body? And the body fascinatingly balances them all. Mm. Um, now, if we start tinkering with one, uh, the body is actually going to try to counter whatever you do. So, uh, and this is true for some hormones and chemicals more than others. Um, but you see it with caffeine, you see it with, uh, benzodiazepines, which work on the GABA receptor, um, and GABA glutamate, uh, are, are two very, very commonly discussed, uh, topics in, uh, chronic illness. Okay. People trying to boost GABA because they can't sleep and they can't relax and they've got terrible insomnia. And um, what we found is that pretty much if we try to boost GABA exogenously out through taking something, the body is going to boost its production of glutamate receptors on all of its new cells so that you are even more sensitive to GABA's opposite, which is glutamate. Um, so I think we see some of this with, uh, with just about every hormone supplementation, um, that the body's going to try to work against whatever you do, whatever you do. And and real quick before, um, you know, for people who don't maybe know what GABA and glutamate and that relationship is, could you just like tell us what GABA does and, and how it's related to glutamate? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, they are both amino acids and amino acids are the building blocks of protein, right? Well, Uh, glutamate and GABA actually work very closely with the nervous system 
And, and so they're swimming around in our, in our bloodstream at all times, and they're activating and, and calming the nervous system each. So glutamate activates the nervous system. Every time we move, if you move your finger right now, that's glutamate working to help the nervous system act. Well, anytime you relax, the opposite is happening, and that's GABA. Mm. So um, in fact, when you relax, you are using up GABA just like a gasoline fuel. It's like the opposite of fuel that you're using up your rest, resting fuel. Well, when you move and exercise and walk around, you're using up glutamate. So what happens in chronic illness uh, is that our glutamate tends to run high um, and our GABA is low. So GABA cannot calm you because its levels are too low in the bloodstream while glutamate is high and it is activating your nervous system and you can't calm down and you can't sleep. So what's going on here uh, is several things. Number one, it is concomitant with, with poor gut health. When our gut health suffers, uh, glutamate runs high and we are excitable and we can't calm down. By the same token, in poor gut health, because we're not absorbing protein very well, GABA is low. GABA has to be built by the body for the most part. So, and it's an expensive molecule to make it. It requires a lot of resources. So the body, you know, when we're weak and we're not absorbing nutrients very well from the gut, GABA isn't made. So we're perpetually deficient in it, which means we can't calm down. Uh, glutamate by, on the other hand, is actually freely released whenever our gut microbes digest any protein. So it is constantly, our body is constantly being flooded with glutamate and we're perpetually starved for GABA, which means we're perpetually unable to relax and we're hyper excitable. That's really interesting. I know that's, that's something that Ray Pete kind of taught me, which was that being in a relaxed state actually takes energy. You know, it's, it's in fact, you know, a very relaxed person is a very high energy person. And I've seen this in people, you know, who have metabolic disease, who might be very overweight. They're, you know, they, they might kind of move slow, but they're actually really agitated. You know, they're, they're kind of moving quick and they're, they're fidgety. Um, and it's, yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah. The inability to just calm down. Is, is perhaps, you know, when it gets bad enough, it, it can be one of the worst things about chronic illness. So you, you have a coaching practice. Uh, what kind of clients do you see? Who do you work with? You know, I, I work with all types of people. Um, I, I've traditionally worked with a whole lot of Ray P people. Um, that is the, the community I've been uh, in the longest. And, um, and so I, I do work with a whole lot of people focusing on their thyroid health, uh, and then a whole lot of folks working on their gut health as well. Um, and then some people who are interested in mold and EMF too. Okay. So who are you finding that you can help the best? You know, I, I don't know if I can pick any one type of person. It, it seems to be, yeah, it seems to be that um, uh, if we're a good fit and we have a good partnership, um, I've been able to have lovely results with, with people from all walks and, and even people that, uh, you know, present issues that are outside of my knowledge. Um, I feel like I can offer, uh, just a partner to walk through it with them. You know, I, I may not have a specific knowledge about, uh, a, a more obscure or rare situation, 
but I do know a lot about how, uh, the body works. Um, I've seen a lot of things not work for people. Um, and so I can, I can help, you know, be a sounding board as people try various things, uh, you know, in their, in their walk and in their journey. Uh, I've got, you know, plenty of patients or I say patients, but they're actually clients. I've got plenty of clients that, um, that take paths that I, I wouldn't do in my situation yet their situation, it makes total sense. And, and I think that that's the power of a health coach, um, and that we don't just say, here's what you do and, and nor should we, you know, uh, our job is to, is to be a guide, a sounding board and a partner as, as the client walks their own journey. Mm. Are you finding any type of person particularly hard to help? <laughs> uh, I'm guessing you mean like with certain uh, difficulties, yeah, certain conditions. Yeah, not like personality, but uh, certain conditions. <laughs> yeah, the cranky ones I really struggle <laughs> with. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I I think that there are quite a few people out there who are really struggling, and I, I mentioned this earlier: the folks who um, are unable to change due to finances. A lot of people mm. can't go get a better job, you know, and their job is is working in an office, getting blasted with Wi-Fi radiation next to a cell tower in a very sick building, blue light screen, blue light fluorescence above. Um, and then, you know, some other people that um, I, I've worked with that, you know, don't don't really want to get out of their house. They want to stay in their their dark, damp mm. house and. And, and, you know, we all have reasons for, for what we want to do and what we can do. And, um, and sometimes it, it's, it's a challenge for some people to, um, tolerate, you know, supplements as well. Pills, uh, there are people who cannot tolerate a, a simple, um, apple pectin mm. pill. And, and those, those are, those are really difficult situations because, uh, you know, they've got a difficult journey. Some people are, are extremely, extremely, um, sick and, and really struggling. And, uh, and my heart, you know, goes out to them. And I, I wish so badly that, that, you know, we could solve all their problems. Yeah. Can you give us any, uh, maybe specific stories of recovery or, or maybe difficult cases that you've, uh, obviously without names, but, uh, that you've dealt with? Yeah, I've got, I've got, uh, I've got a, a lovely, uh, client, um, who lives in San Francisco, um, who, uh, is currently traveling right now, uh, around the world. But, um, he presented with, uh, hypothyroid symptoms, had labs to support it, was on thyroid medication. And we went the, uh, the lifestyle route. We went the gut health route and circadian rhythm. And, um, and I'm happy to say this client is completely off thyroid meds. Uh, six months after being off thyroid meds, all thyroid labs were normal. Um, feels great, uh, constantly improving. And uh, I've been working with this this guy for uh, about eighteen months now, and um, and it just it makes me happy almost every single day when he when he reaches out, and he messages me on Facebook and, and tells me uh, that you know things are going so well. Wow, that sounds awesome. It sounds like he's a, he's a brand new person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he he would say that. I think he told me uh, in our last consultation uh, that that this is by far the best he's ever felt. Wow! So tell us about uh, your website. You know how people can contact you if they want coaching. All of that. So, 
Yeah, so the website is uh, such a passion of mine. It is so um, just lovely to be able to put the ideas out, to make the connections with with people like yourself and, and others. Um, I get to, to meet so many wonderful people that are, are really trying to make a difference in their own lives and in the world even. Um, and, I, and I just uh, try to put out some you know information that is balanced always. I tend to focus on what I can do personally to improve my health safely. Um, there are a lot of great ideas out there that you might find work for 5 to 7% of people. Uh, and I'm not too interested in those kind of ideas. I'm more interested in the ideas that support your biology on a foundational level. And um, so, yeah, I, I like to, to work with people one-on-one in coaching. Got several different plans. Um, we can communicate entirely by Facebook Messenger or email. Um, and we can also uh, schedule consultations. So when I graduated from Duke Integrative Medicine's uh, health coach training, um, I uh, was recommended that the going rate for health coaching is $100 an hour American. Um, and uh, you know, that seems a little high for me um, right now just because there are so many people that will never be able to afford that, um, at least not in any kind of ongoing way. So. Um, Right now, my prices are a bit lower than that. And um, if you're thinking about just having someone to talk to, um, I can share my experiences with you. But I, I also am, am interested in just in partnering with you to to find the simplest steps forward um, and uh, in building a lifestyle that supports your your health and recovery. And if you want to get in contact, just go to, to my website, travisbirch.com, go to coaching and uh, sign up there. You can also uh, click on the menu, contact me if you've got any questions, and there's a form you can submit. Gotcha. And how, how is that spelled, Travis Birch? Yeah, T-R-A-V-I-S, Travis, and my last name, Birch, is B-U-R-C-H. Dot com. C-O-M. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> well, dude, thanks so much. This has been awesome. Um, definitely some some good nuggets in this uh, in this show that I, that I think a lot of people are really going to like. So I really appreciate you being on. Yeah, it's been a blast, Lucas. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking to Travis. You know, he has some great points throughout the interview. So just to recap some of what he said, his pillars of health, they are circadian rhythm, which includes light, sleep, and movement, gut health, which includes diet and nutrition, and environment. Now, he also has the mind as a pillar, but we didn't really get into the mind much in this interview. And I actually think that's kind of interesting because there's a lot of self, self-help self advice out there. Uh, you know, be positive, be confident, etc. But often your mind gets better as you address the other pillars of health, you know, all on its own. Now, for circadian rhythm, he uses 250-watt heat lamps with the clear bulbs, and he likes to shine them on himself as he works on the computer uh, for between three to five hours per day. Now, if you don't want to do the lights, uh, getting sunlight, especially in the first few hours of the day, can get that circadian rhythm on track. And a big part of getting good sleep, according to Travis, is getting good light during the day. And this is going to make sure that your body produces the melatonin it needs at night to fall asleep. And when you do sleep, make sure the room is completely dark uh, because the smallest amount of blue light will lower your melatonin levels. 
Now, for gut health, there is a lot of experimentation, trial and error going on there. You know, his favorite supplements are colostrum, apple pectin, cinnamon, oregano, and peppermint. Now, if nothing is working for someone or, you know, they're sensitive to every supplement they try, he is okay using antibiotics like uh, those from the tetracycline class and as a last resort, mostly. And even antifungals, he was actually even positive on those if the antibiotics are not working. He said most people could use a prebiotic, that's a type of fiber that feeds bacteria in the gut, a probiotic, which is the actual bacteria, and then some type of antibiotic substance like cinnamon, and you could do that every day. Now, for environment, the two biggest things to focus on are EMF and mold. Many buildings have a ton of water damage, which mold just thrives in. Travis said most of his main issues came from living in a sick building that was full of mold. And this is one of the first times I've actually talked to someone who's knowledgeable on mold. So it was really cool. And while I really don't have to worry about it much in Arizona, it is probably something uh, most people do not have on their radar. Now, Travis's website is travisbirch.com, uh, where you can read his blog posts, you can become a member uh, for a lot deeper information, or you know you can contact him for coaching. I hope you like this interview as much as I did. I'm definitely going to be trying out the heat lamps to see if they impact my sleep at night, and I'll uh, let you know. Uh, if you did like this interview, please share it uh, with others. Get the word out about Quack's podcast, uh, and feel free to send any questions or suggestions to Quack's podcast with an X at gmail.com. Be well.